There is a vow in the scripture that is called the vow of the Nazarite. And today we're going to take a look at this particular vow. Some believe that Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth and they debate whether or not he was from the place Nazareth or if he had actually taken the Nazarite vow. We're going to look at this vow and we're going to answer some of these questions on today. Make sure you stay with us. You were listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. For more information, visit the website at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. And now, here's your Bible teacher, Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. You are listening to the Good Treasure Podcast Show. When you get a chance, visit our website, DariusGood.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S-G-O-O-D.com. There you find more information regarding my books. I have quite a few books out. Um, I'm currently pushing the Divorce Christian book. I wrote it for Christians that are divorced. We answer a lot of questions regarding divorce. Um, And I found in my research that I disagree with 98%, (laughs) I'm gonna say 100% of the teachings on divorce as I went through the scriptures, just to give you some quick insight or understanding regarding this subject. We teach that Jesus changed the law of Moses, and yet Jesus clearly stated in Matthew chapter five, I did not come to change the law. I did not come to abolish the law. And we skip right over the teaching of Jesus, and then we hammer home how we have to follow the scriptures. I just can't put two and two together to make sense of this. And so in my studies, I went through and was able to discover some of the laws of Moses that many Christians are not aware of. And so some of the conclusions that we've drawn on the subject of divorce are completely inaccurate. And so all that information is in my book, The Divorce Christian is really a Bible study on the subject of divorce. So visit the website today, DariusGood.com, or you can go directly to that page, which is called TheDivorceChristian.com. Also visit our church's website today, BGC.Family. Once again, that's BGC. Dot family, you can find information there regarding the church. On today, you're listening to episode 17, and it's entitled The Nazarite Vow. And this is a very interesting vow that is spelled out here in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. There are several Nazarites that are mentioned in the scripture. Um, but first, let me explain what led to my study of the Nazarite vow. My son, uh, my youngest son, John, um, was born beginning of this year, 2023. And the Lord spoke to my wife and he instructed her not to cut my son's hair. I just thought it was a very interesting commandment. And my wife didn't know why. He told her that she's not permitted to cut her hair. My daughter, Riley, the Lord said not to cut her hair. And now he's saying the same for my son which is interesting because most boys, we do cut their hair. So the Lord said we do, we can trim his hair, but he does not want his hair cut. And so I was just thinking, going through the scriptures, trying to think of anything along this line. Why would the Lord make this statement or require this sort of um, action? 
And in doing so, it reminded me of the vow of the Nazarite. Am I saying my son is a Nazarite? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. And we're going to get into that on today as we talk about the vow and its connection to the law of Moses. But this vow made me think of the different stories, even teachings I've heard on the Nazarite vow. And I began to look at Christian writings. And uh, if you know, if you've been listening to me and following me where I'm at in my teaching, I found a lot of Christian teachings on Old Testament subjects uh, to be void of a lot of understanding and honestly, a lot of truth. I found that Jewish writings and the teachings from the rabbi, um, their stories make a lot more sense to me. Um, their explanations of their customs and practices makes a lot more sense. And so I began to look at Jewish writings on the subject of the Nazarite vow and found that their teachings were drastically different than Christian teachings. And so I want to share with you a lot of the information that I found regarding this particular vow. Um, as we are familiar, there are several Nazarites that are mentioned in the scripture. Those have taken the vow of the Nazarite. Uh, the most popular would be Samson. Then we would have uh, John the Baptist. And of course, some would point to Jesus and there's some debate on whether or not Jesus was a Nazarite. Um, some might even remember Paul in Acts chapter 18 when he got himself in trouble after he shaved his head. They said he was one of the leaders of the Nazarites. Um, one that I think that most are not familiar with would be Samuel. His mother made a vow in her prayer um, as she was praying to the Lord for a baby. Um, and then we have uh, another person, Absalom. And then in Jeremiah chapter 35, we have the Rechabites. These were the sons and daughters of Jonadab. And that's a very interesting story. We may take a look at that particular story at some point. Um, but we have quite a few that fall in this category of those that have taken the Nazarite vow. And so uh, we're going to begin at Numbers chapter 6 as we lay down the understanding of what this vow entails. So at Numbers chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. And so we're going to stop here. I want to first point out that the Nazarite vow was a vow that could be taken by both men and by women. And so there was no distinction where God only allowed the men to take the Nazarite vow, but men and women took the vow. And of course, the story there in Jeremiah does describe women that have taken the vow. So if you say, well, there's no one in the scripture, no women in the scripture that have taken the Nazarite vow, that would be an inaccurate because there in Jeremiah chapter 35, we do see the sons and daughters of Jonadab that have taken this particular vow. So there are women that are mentioned not by particular name, but at least connected to a family that had taken this particular vow. So at verse two, we have both the man and the women permitted to take the vow. The purpose of the vow was to separate themselves. This word Nazarite is actually translated sequestration. So this deals with being set apart. That's what sequestration means. It also means to separate or separation or consecration. 
So the vow of the Nazarite is a vow of separation or consecration. If you notice in verse two, it says to separate themselves unto the Lord. So the requirement for separation or consecration is you must be consecrated to something, which would also imply you must be consecrated from something. So in verse two, it explains what those that took this vow were separated to. They were separated or consecrated unto the Lord. And then in verse three, what we're going to find is what they are to be consecrated or separated from. And now our list begins. So beginning at verse three, Numbers chapter six, verse three, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar or wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried. So they were not permitted to drink wine. And then we have this word that talks about uh, drink no vinegar or of wine. The word is sakar, which means strong drink or intoxicating drink, anything fermented or intoxicating liquor. So this goes beyond wine. Of course, the scripture says wine and strong drink. So this deals with alcohol because um, they were able to consume alcohol made from barley. So that's not necessarily alcohol made from the wine or from the vine. But God highlighted both of these as being something they could not partake of while they were taking the vow. They were not permitted to eat moist grapes. So that includes regular grapes from the vine and also dried grapes, which would be raisins. So anything taken from the vine, if you notice at verse four, all the days of his separation shall he eat. Nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernel, even to the husk. So now there are things that they weren't permitted to drink and things they were not permitted to eat while they were taking the vow. Notice that verse four, all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine. So all the days deals with a length of time. At verse five. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head. So now we deal with the hair until the days be fulfilled, which would imply that the vow does come to an end at some, some point. So this verse, I'm reading again from the beginning, verse five. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord he shall be holy and shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. Now at verse six, we have all the days that he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall come at no dead body. So now this is our fourth area of separation, separation from the dead. So that includes corpses and graves, according to my studies that we don't see specifically mentioned in the scripture. So they're going to highlight corpses, but not necessarily locations. So at verse seven, it says that he shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. Verse eight, all the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So this passage highlights certain relationships. So doesn't get closer than mother and father, brother and sister. 
Even if they died, they were not permitted to have contact with the dead. It would cause them to be defiled at verse nine. And if any man die very suddenly by him and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the days of his cleansing on the seventh day shall he shave it. So now this helps us to understand that there was chances of them being defiled. And this passage explains the requirements if they were defiled by the dead. So there was a seven day process of cleansing. And on the eighth day, they were required or the seventh day required to shave their heads. Now, if they ended up defiling themselves by having contact with the dead, the requirement was them to for them to shave their heads. And we're going to go through this explanation of the cleansing process. Verse nine, if any man die very suddenly by him, he hath defiled the head of his consecration. Then he shall shave his head in the days of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. Verse 10. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons, to the priests, to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So at verse 10, we begin the explanation, or even verse 9, the explanation of the, the cleansing process if they are defiled while making their vow. So now we have two turtle doves. One uh, or two young pigeons had to be brought to the priest. And then at verse 11, the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering. That's one turtle dove. The other turtle dove was offered for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him for that he sinned by the dead and shall hollow his head that same day. So he was required to shave his head at verse 12. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb for the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. So please understand this means that uh, whatever length of time uh, the vow had already taken place, all those days that the vow had been completed are now lost because they are beginning a cleansing process. So the vow was really being renewed from this point forward. So if a person decided to take a one year vow and they defiled themselves in month 11, then the one year vow begins at the point of the defilement. So they begin the whole vow over once again. At verse 13, it states, and this is the law of the Nazarite when the days of his separation are fulfilled. This verse helps us to understand that the vow of the Nazarite was taken for a period of time. So even though we are familiar with uh, Samson, even uh, John the Baptist, Samuel, these men took a vow for a lifetime. But the vow of the Nazarite was not required to be lifelong. It could be for a short period of time. And I'll give more details regarding the length of time. Um, once we finish this reading regarding the fulfillment of the vow. So once the vow was over at verse 13, it explains, and this is the law of the Nazarite when the days of his separation are fulfilled. He shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 14, he shall offer his offering unto the Lord. The requirement of the offering was this. 
One he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering. One hue lamb for the first year without blemish for a sin offering. And one ram without blemish for peace offerings. So we have these three offerings mentioned right here. Burnt offering, sin offering, and peace offering. At verse 15, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offering. Verse 16, and the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. Verse 17, and he shall offer a ram for a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord. And with the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle for the congregation and shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. Verse 19. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. Verse 20. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. This is holy for the priest with the wave breast and heave shoulder. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. And at verse 21, this is the law of the Nazarite who hath vowed and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation Beside that, that his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed. So he must do after the law of his separation. There are some things regarding this vow that I want to highlight. So as I mentioned in the very beginning, it's a separation unto something, to something, which is God. And then we have these four categories of separation from something. If we just look at them as a whole. The first requirement was separation from something that you drink, something that you eat. And of course, those two ideas or concepts are things that you consume. So that deals with your diet, things that you eat, things that you drink. That's your diet. So what things are you not permitted to consume? Now, the next category was you weren't permitted to cut your hair. That raises the question for me. What things are you not permitted to cut off? Things that you have to hold on to. Our next category will be things that are dead. They could not be around the dead. So what things are dead around you that you cannot be connected to? Now, in my studies, as I looked into the Jewish writings, what I discovered was uh, there was a requirement of a ceremonial washing we don't see that in the scriptures, but we do see ceremonial washings throughout the scriptures. The priest had to do them. And we find the women also required to do them following their cycles. And this uh, ceremonial washing is called a mikvah. And you can find them if you Google the word mikvah, M-I-K-V-E-H, you can find them. In our town, there is an area or a business that you can go to and and perform a mikvah. Now, I wouldn't recommend it if you're not Jewish. But the concept of this cleansing is immersion, complete immersion in water. And the water had to be flowing. It couldn't be collected water 
because the concept was you had to be cleansed by living water, which is very interesting. As Jesus said, I am the living waters. So now as part of their cleansing, I just want to read this to you. Mikvah is a bath used for the purpose of ritual immersion in Judaism to achieve ritual purity. Most forms of ritual impurity can be purified through immersion in any natural collection of water. However, some impurities, such as a salve, required living water, such as springs or groundwater wells. And of course, this made me think of the teachings of John the Baptist, where Christians state, where did he come with this idea or theology regarding baptism? But the mikvah was a normal part of the Jew- Jewish experience, the immersion in water, the, the purification through immersion. That is a Old Testament concept that we find John the Baptist teaching. So now we have our four categories of things that they were not permitted to do. If you look at the concept of the cutting of the hair, the Jews explained that you can groom your hair with your fingers, but you could not use a comb. The comb was a device that would cause your hair to be pulled out, and this was not permitted. In that case, you have just broken the vow. So they were able to use their fingers. If they scratched their head and hair fell out, that was okay. Combs were not permitted to be used, and neither were chemical depilatories which is basically a chemical being added to the hair that causes hair to be removed. Now, if a Nazarite was recovering from a skin disease, they were obligated to cut their hair. So Nazarites who shave their hair were obligated to do an additional 30 days of the Nazarite period. The permanent Nazarite, on the other hand, was permitted to cut their hair once a year. So as I'm going to explain, there were different types of Nazarites and the rules varied based on the type of Nazarite vow that was taken. So for most Nazarites, they're not permitted to cut their hair unless there was some sort of skin disease. But for those that were permanent Nazarites, they could do so once per year. In the story of Absalom, we have this passage here in 2 Samuel at verse 26, and it talks about how uh, Absalom pulled his hair, P-O-L-L-E-D, for it was every year's end that he pulled it because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. What you find interesting, if you look this word up, pulled, or even in a different translation, it means that he shaved his head. He would cut it completely off. And so the Jews teach that Absalom was a Nazarite. And this was normal practice for Nazarites to cut their hair once a year because they found the hair to be heavy and bothersome. And so that's interesting because this was only required for Nazarites that were permanent Nazarites. Now, those that were not, were not permitted to cut their hair during the vow and so the length of time varied and we're going to explain that in a little bit let's go on to to the second area so we covered the hair the grapes could not eat any grape products so that would include grapes dried grapes grape seeds 
Um, it will include uh, vinegar or juices made by grapes. Um, the second area that was included with the wine was also alcohol, but they could not drink any alcoholic beverages that was made either from grapes or even barley. Um, if the Nazarite drank wine, the Nazarite period continued as normal, although he or she had committed a very severe transgression. So they weren't required to add any days onto the vow, but they had committed a severe transgression. Now, in regards to the dead, um, obviously they couldn't be in the presence of the dead. This includes family members. A person dying suddenly constituted a breaking of the vow. So now it required the vow to be taken again from the beginning. And they had to be uh, go through the cleansing process as described here in the scriptures. Now, a Nazarite must avoid corpses and graves, even those of family members and any buildings that might contain a grave. In this respect, the Nazarite is very similar to the high priest. A permanent Nazarite becomes ritually impure through proximity to a corpse. Nevertheless, a Nazarite who finds an unburied corpse, they were required to bury the corpse even though that meant they were going to be defiled. So I thought that was a very interesting requirement um, for the vow of the Nazarite. Now the Hebrew sages, what they teach is that the vow was a sequestration of an individual set apart for service to God. They teach that it was for non-Levites who wanted to serve God. This vow gave them holy status and is very similar to the Levitical priesthood requirements. The Levites were the priests and the Nazarites were lay people who had dedicated themselves to service. On next week, we're gonna look at the three types of Nazarites. Thank you for joining us on today. If you're listening by radio, join us the same time on next week. If you're listening by podcast, remember to like, share, and subscribe. Be blessed. You have been listening to Good Treasure Podcast Show with your Bible teacher, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and author of the books Unlocking Godly Wisdom, Fear of the Lord, David, Man of War, and the children's book series The Adventures of Rai Rai. To learn more about these books or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at DariusGood.com. For more information regarding the church, visit the church's website at bgc.family. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation and enlightenment. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, may God open unto you his good treasure. Be blessed.